There we go. Good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Aaron Robertson. I'm uh, one of the elders here. and I'm going to share from God's word with, uh, with us here in just a moment. But why did we have a video of that? It's so fun to see that all those faces, uh, all those stories, uh, family talking about how they've had, they've been with kids since nursery that their kids get to grow up with. I've got the, some kids out here that I've known since diapers and they're driving some of them uh, all through hope. Uh, and that's a special thing. Um, but we show those stories just to share a little bit of, of the impact of hope. And uh, we're gonna do a quick financial up update. And so as we share about finances, uh, kind of people don't always know how to respond. We want you to know that what you give towards hope makes a difference in people's lives. That's why we give to see people in community being blessed and encouraged, being strengthened in their faith, being brought to know the Lord. All those things happen uh, because of your generosity. So we've got our end of fiscal year update here. Uh, end of the month, uh, we've got uh, 27 days, 26 days till the end of the month here. And so this is our end of the year report, uh, our update here. Um, and uh, yeah, end of the month. And so all three locations, so here, uh, St. Paul and downtown, uh, we are needing uh, 360,000 in the next 26 days uh, to be raised. And for Columbia Heights, for our specific location, uh, we're looking at $60,000. Uh, seems like a lot, it is a lot, uh, but we're trusting God in all of this. And so uh, we know that he is more than able to provide for that. And, and we'd love for you to uh, consider if you could play a part in that. Um, and so we actually, to encourage you, help you, if uh, maybe you've not been a regular giver or don't know how, Drew put together some slides here. I actually walked through this process here uh, if you've not given. So HopeCC.com, pretty easy website to remember. Uh, you go there and you can see the little, uh, I don't know, does anyone know what those little three things are called? What? Hamburger symbol. Hamburger symbol? All right, click on the hamburger. Uh, and when you eat your hamburger at the picnic today, it can be a reminder in case you didn't uh, uh, do it. But click on the hamburger and uh, click on giving here. Uh, it's an unfortunate number of clicks to kind of get through to this, but it'll take you to this page here. If you scroll down right here, you'll see set up a recurring gift or a one-time gift there. Uh, and uh, there we go. You can go in, you can click uh, how often, how much, uh, all those things through that. Uh, and we'd love for uh, you to consider that. We're trusting the Lord with this. We know... Uh, We've seen your generosity uh, here at Heights for uh, last several years, and, and uh, we're, we're trusting the Lord with uh, whatever he'd have for us here in June. So I'm going to pray over that, and then we're going to dive into God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, uh, seems big numbers to us. Uh, it's pocket change to you, Father. Uh, all that we have and are given is from your hand, and so when we uh, give, it's, it's back to you, Father. It's to honor you, uh, and it's to see lives change, Father. And so uh, we thank you for the wise stewardship that uh, hope uh, elders, leadership, pastors show with the gifts that are given, and we uh, pray that you would uh, be at work uh, in these finances as we close out our fiscal year. Uh, we thank you for your love and mercy towards us, uh, and we just, uh, yeah, leave these things in your hands, trusting in uh, uh, your desire to do good things for your family.
family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Back to that one. I think we're back at the start. Uh, so we'll switch over to the slideshow for this morning. So as Drew mentioned, we are starting a series for the summer uh, called Not Just Another Story. And so we're going to be looking at parables and a couple different narratives throughout Scripture uh, and just uh, seeing a little more uh, about the nature of the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus in the gospel message. Uh, so it's really fun. We had a question this morning. What was your favorite story as a kid? Uh, I don't know that I have one. I, I read a lot. Uh, I was kind of a super nerd. Um, and so pulling one back out uh, is really hard. But as an adult, probably, uh, I'd have to say uh, Tolkien's work uh, and all of them. I've read all of them. So not just like Lord of the Rings. Uh, I've read all of them uh, many times to my wife's frustration. Um, so I love stories. And uh, today we get to look at a good one. Um, so we're looking at Luke 4, 22 through 30. Uh, and uh, right at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke there, uh, it's actually a bit of an overlooked or maybe forgotten passage um, at least to me, uh, even though it's in a very familiar section of scripture. So this happens immediately after Jesus goes into the synagogue. He opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, uh, the spirit of the Lord upon me is upon me to bring good news. Uh, very famous passage, that one. Uh, but our story today follows up on that. So I'm actually going to read uh, the entirety of this scene, of this story, uh, of Jesus in the synagogue. Uh, but our verses for today in particular are 22 through 30. So uh, let's dive in, dive in here. So uh, Luke 4, 14 through 21, and then 22 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. 
All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got him, they got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Uh, Pretty crazy switch in uh, people's responses to Jesus from beginning to the end of this passage. It begins with people being amazed and they're talking about him and he opens a scroll and people are speaking well of him and then he kind of ruins everything, right? Uh, he he, he uh, changes things really quick. Um, and so our focus is on verse 22 through 30, but we really need to take into account the, the bigger story here of what's happening in Luke at this point in time. So I'm actually going to quick give some uh, quick highlights of, of where we're at in Luke here uh, that'll help us uh, see what's going on in the synagogue here. So uh, chapter three begins, it doesn't begin, but in chapter three, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, many of you will remember this uh, in the Jordan River. And so in that, we see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and the father declares that Jesus is his own son. Uh, chapter four, just before our verses, begins with Jesus uh, being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit uh, for 40 days. And during that time, Jesus is tempted by the devil. And each time he responds with uh, quotes from God's word, from scripture and, and with obedience to the father. Uh, and again, in verse 14, we see Jesus returning to Galilee again with a reference being made to Jesus being filled with the power of the spirit. Um, and so he heads to the temple and we have this narrative of Jesus being filled with the spirit, being filled with the power. Um, and uh, so we get to our passage. He's in the temple. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah and it starts, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, that reference to the spirit of God at work uh, in Isaiah or in, uh, uh, in Jesus. In our verses today, Jesus referenced Elijah and Elisha uh, and they were famously, in their ministries, empowered by God's spirit to perform incredible signs and wonders. Uh, right after our passage, Jesus encounters a man with an unclean spirit, and he drives them out, uh, drives out the unclean spirit. And then he goes through all of Judea, and he's performing miracles, uh, the power of the spirits at work in him in all these mighty ways. And there's miracles left and right. It's kind of a, an, an Oprah moment of you get a miracle and you get a miracle and you get a miracle, right? Like just everywhere in this demonstration of God's power. Um, so why do we bring that up? A uh, couple things. So two, two reasons that I, I thought of here this week as I was going through this. Um, first, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the descending of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus in his baptism, uh, it's significant background to what Jesus is saying in chapter four. So the presence of God's spirit and the declarations that he's making, they're direct affirmations that he is the promised son of God and the Messiah. Uh, with all that work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is being revealed as the anointed one of Israel. Um, and he's declaring himself, demonstrating himself to be God's chosen one. Uh, and that's important because the rejection that happens in verses 22 through 30 is all the more uh, significant when, when it's the son of God, the Messiah, the promised one that is being rejected. Uh, and secondly, the Holy Spirit reveals the power and authority of God upon the lives of, of humanity. It's an active demonstration of God's tender care and his compassion towards people in need. You think of what's happening in these passages and the care he's showing for people 
with the miracles, the way he's loving and encountering different people, the passage from Isaiah where he's talking about freedom and liberty and return of sight. Um, all of this is a demonstration of God's miraculous grace. He's freeing captives. He's giving sight to the blind. Um, and all of that reveals the true nature of the gospel, right? It makes possible what would otherwise be impossible. Uh, so this broader storyline of the power of the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus in our passage today, it serves both as a confirmation of Jesus as Messiah, but it's also a demonstration of the miraculous grace of the good news. Um, so let's dive into our verses a little more closely now, and we'll see that kind of change in tone that the people have towards him. Um, after sharing from Isaiah, everyone's like, oh yeah, Jesus, he's great, right? Who doesn't love liberty? Who doesn't love sight for the blind? Who doesn't love healing and deliverance and all these things, right? Uh, and those in the synagogue, uh, they'd have been quite all right with Jesus talking about the ways that God's blessing would be coming to the people of God, right? Like they're hearing all this stuff and like, yeah, look at it. God's gonna do some good stuff for us. Um, they would have been happy with that, right? Uh, so what went bad? So by the end of the passage, a couple verses later, those same people are ready to throw him off a cliff. Uh, it starts with the fact that Jesus is teaching in his own hometown, right? So he's a familiar face. Uh, you know, as he's there in the synagogue, it's like friends and neighbors and family friends. There's the old guy in the back talking about how he had Jesus and Joseph out to his farm to fix some gates and do some carpentry work, right? And there's the old lady whispering, you know, I used to have tea with his mother. I changed his diaper once, you know? Like these are people that grew up around Jesus and that Jesus grew up with. Um, you know, and in the passage, you see that they ask, isn't this Joseph's son? Like they know him, they know Jesus, right? Uh, and things turn south for Jesus in this passage when he confronts the familiarity that the people of Nazareth had with him. They, uh, they thought they knew a little bit about Jesus and about his family. They thought uh, they knew who he was and what he was about. Uh, they kind of figured, oh yeah, we know Jesus. He's, of course he's gonna bless us. He's, you know, he's our friend, he's our neighbor. He's, Jesus is my homeboy, you know? Like we, we used to run the rough streets of Nazareth. Uh, they think they know Jesus, um, but Jesus overturns their assumptions about who he is. Uh, and he does that in a way that just absolutely infuriates them. So to do this, Jesus turns to two Old Testament prophets. Um, he helps people see that they need to see themselves in a new light in relationship to him. He's not just Jesus the carpenter. He's not just Jesus, Joseph's son. He's not just Jesus that lives on the other side of town. This is Jesus Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. Uh, and uh, that changes everything. Um, so he tells these people, they'd been talking well of him, that there's a long history uh, of rejection of prophets by the people of Israel. Uh, and in particular, rejection of those prophets in their own hometown hometown, uh, and to make it crystal clear to the people of Nazareth that they were facing a choice of how to view him, of how to view uh, Jesus as Messiah, Jesus dusts off a, a couple of classic Old Testament prophets. So uh, in choosing Elijah and Elisha, uh, Jesus is going for like the A-list Hebrew celebrities, right? These are like top shelf. These are like the guys you want to 
talk about, right? They, uh, their, their ministries were these incredible miracles, these acts of faith and demonstration of God's power. Uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and they had these incredible, impeccable reputations, right? So the people in the synagogue that day, they would have known, they would have celebrated their stories. They would have loved, oh yeah, Elijah, Elisha. But Jesus shows them something about Elijah and Elisha and about the gospel of God uh, that they weren't ready to hear. Um, so with both Elijah and Elisha, they're serving the Lord in times of incredible wickedness in Israel, uh, they're there doing their ministry because the people of God have rejected God. They've turned away. There's evil everywhere, right? Uh, some real low points in the history of God. Uh, and they're both prophets of power. They've got these remarkable deeds accounted to them in their ministry. Uh, and Jesus gives a quick account. Oop, here we go. Uh, Elijah, he's the older one here. Uh, he... Uh, in this narrative we see in our verses, he moves outside of cultural and religious and political boundaries of Israel during a time of drought. So if you remember the story, incredible drought, famine, uh, and Elijah's led, and he ends up with the widow in Zarephath. And uh, the first encounter is so striking. He says, do you have something for me to eat? And she says, I have the very last of our flour and our oil. I'm gonna make a loaf of bread so my son and I can eat it and then die. This is an end of life situation. This is a, the last that we have. And Elijah says, that's not gonna happen. I want you to make a loaf of bread for me. And this woman who has nothing, she's widowed, she's starving, she's at the end of anything that she might have, says, okay no options for her. And she says, okay. And so she makes this loaf of bread and for Elijah. And uh, the story goes, this jar of flour, this jar of oil didn't empty for months and months and months. So as long as Elijah stayed there, there was flour and there was oil and they, they ate. Uh, later in the story, Elijah brings her son back from the dead. Um, and she is not an Israelite. She's not part of the people of God. She's not clean. She's not kosher. She's not all the things that you'd think, you know, this is where God's blessings should go. Elijah goes outside of that. Um, and same thing with Elisha. Uh, so this, oh, this is uh, Elijah and the woman, the widow and her son. Uh, they didn't have paintbrushes when he was around, so he commissioned an engraving. Uh, so this is from his time. Uh, so he goes to this widow, right? And Elisha is the same way, except they'd invented paintbrushes. Uh, but they knew the paintings were bad, so they had to label everything. Um, so Elisha, similar situation, right? So he's uh, bringing this powerful work of God to bring healing to someone who's an outsider. So in, in this story, uh, Naaman is a military commander. He's a leader. He's Syrian, most importantly. Uh, he's representative of oppression, of injustice, of God's judgment on the sins of Israel. Uh, he, he would have been immediately typecast as the bad guy, right? Uh, he only hears about Elijah because he has a captive Israelite girl that says, I know a guy. 
He's covered in leprosy. His whole body is just kind of falling apart. Uh, and, and the servant girl says, I know a guy who serves the God of Israel who can heal you. And so he goes and he's, ex- he's got his entourage. He's expecting like this grand welcome because he is a person of power. He's a person of importance, right? And uh, it's crazy in the story. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house to greet them. He sends a servant out and his servant says, go bathe in the muddy waters over here and you'll be cleansed. And Naaman's like, what? No way. Like, do you know who I am? Let me pay. Let me buy. Let me earn whatever this healing is. I'll want it. And he says, no, just go dunk yourself. And Naaman actually originally walks away. He rejects this offer of healing from from Elisha and from God. And his servants uh, had enough wisdom to say, hold up. Like, you are willing to give all this money and do all this elaborate stuff to earn healing, but you're too proud to just go take a dunk in the pond. Uh, And so Naaman turns and says, all right, I will. And so he turns, he goes in these mighty waters and he's cleansed. Um, Again, he's an outsider. He's the bad guy. He's the the representative of of, uh, kind of what God's people shouldn't be about. And yet that's where God's blessing lands. And so when Jesus brings up Elijah and Elisha as these prophets of God, Uh, it's a powerful picture of the good news, right? It's this powerful picture of God's grace. Naaman and uh, the widow and Nerefeth, they weren't insiders. They didn't belong. They weren't clean. They weren't deserving. They weren't anything uh, until God chose them, until God's grace and mercy and blessing uh, happened to them. Um, So when Jesus brings these up in, in the synagogue with all these religious people, all these devout, they've been considered like the good church going people. Like, you know, we get our kids to church on time every week and they're quiet and don't disrupt. And we, you know, we give and we serve and um, all those things, right? Uh, And he's saying those things don't matter for God's blessing. God's grace goes where God wants it to go. Um, and so Jesus is taking direct aim at a couple of things in the hearts of uh, those in the synagogue with him. So his hometown, they, they assumed that their familiarity with Jesus was enough to be cool with him, right? Like, oh, we know Jesus, yeah. You know, well, bring some of those blessings to us. Certainly we, your friends, your neighbors, like, yeah, bring, bring some of those miracles here, right? Uh, they assumed that. Um, they thought some shared history, some ancestry, uh, some religious custom that made Jesus cool with them, right? Their hearts are reflective of actually many others in Israel in Jesus' day. Uh, in fact, their hearts uh, are reflective of many hearts today. Um, the crowd Jesus is addressing would have been considered the good church people, right? They likely served and they tithed and they uh, probably would have been well-studied in scripture. They'd memorize God's words. They'd have a, uh, uh, a school for the kids to learn all the religious rites and customs and memorize passages. Uh, they wouldn't have been strangers to spiritual conversations. And uh, more than a few of them would have been well-versed in the latest theological topics of the day, Right. Um, And we see those things in in the New Testament with the Sadducees and Pharisees and the Zealots. And there's all these different groups. Like these are people that would know this stuff. They're in on the conversations and they're thinking all that stuff adds up to make them something special, something deserving of God's grace, something that um, 
allows them to receive blessing from God. Um, and they're Jewish, right? So they're supposed to receive God's blessing. They've got the ethnic heritage, right? Uh, they were chosen by God for a special bla- uh, blessing. Their familiar- familiarity with matters of Jewish life and with worship and their ethnicity left them feeling pretty confident uh, that they were all set, right? They were set to receive all that God had promised his people. Uh, so by using Elijah and Elisha, uh, by using uh, Naaman and the widow at Nerefeth, Jesus is actually directly confronting and refuting the notion that people are chosen by God because of their ethnicity or because of their religious practice or because of their familiarity with spiritual things, right? These stories that Jesus brings up, they provide a gospel confrontation of their self-righteousness, of their ethnocentrism, of their moral superiority, and all the other things that uh, they and we can kind of try to hold on to uh, for a sense of confidence before God. Um, so the widow and name and the widow and the leper, they both demonstrate uh, that Jesus hears uh, and ourselves in struggle. Uh, bleh, sorry, I read that wrong. <laughs> but both Nerefeth and, and, and uh, Naaman, they, they demonstrate um, something that we need to see. When you look at the widow and the leper, uh, there's something about them that Jesus wants the people in the synagogue to see. They're, they were missing out. They thought all this stuff they had done and all the ways they knew Jesus was enough. And he points to the bad guy, the Syrian oppressor, and he points to this foreign widow who has nothing and holds them up. And uh, what is it that they have? Both the widow and the leper, they were asked for some simple, humble acts of obedience, right? Make me a loaf of bread, go dunk yourself in the pond. Um, Simple things, right? Easy things. Uh, And they don't turn their noses up at it. They, They respond with a humble act of obedience done in faith that only God Only the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God could give them what they needed. Naaman's like, all right, doesn't make sense to me. God said it, I'm gonna go jump in the pond. And the widow, this is the last I got. It doesn't make sense. Man of God, Elijah told me, okay, I'm gonna obey. And we see God's blessing coming to these people that respond with this simple, humble, beautiful act of obedience. And that's what Jesus wanted to show the people in the synagogue that day. It's the scope of the gospel and the nature of the gospel, right? Uh, So the scope of the gospel that really would have been offensive to those in the synagogue that day and pointing out Naaman and the widow uh, is that the blessing of Jesus Christ was for all people, for all nations, right? Uh, That's for the foreign, the unclean identities of of, uh, Naaman and, and of this widow. They weren't supposed to receive God's blessing. They weren't supposed to be chosen for God's mercy and grace. And yet that's what the gospel does. It's for all people. It's not about uh, being Jewish. The gospel is not ethnocentric. It's not just for Jewish people. So the familiarity, the religious practice, the knowledge of scripture, the shared ancestry, uh, all those things that the people in the synagogue thought they had uh, were not and they are not things that can be held on to as a way to get on God's good side. 
Um, we see this, Paul talks about this, right, in some of his letters, how if anyone has reason to boast, I have more. And he kind of goes through the list of all the things that he is and not the things that he's done. Like he's the best of the best as far as Jewish identity goes. And he says, none of that matters apart from the, the gospel of grace, right? Um, so this global scope that we see in, in Jesus' uh, retelling of these stories uh, was really in, in, infuriating, right? Like that's a direct confrontation of their comfort in who they are. Um, uh, this concept, this idea actually is so crazy. Even the early church struggled this with this, right? Like we hear the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, right? To the ends of the earth. It's pretty plain and clear from Jesus' own mouth, right? And then we see the early church and they're struggling like, uh, I don't know, it takes special visions. It takes this work of the Holy Spirit to uh, drive the people of God through persecution and other things out uh, into, into the world. And, and so you see the Holy Spirit working this in, in the lives of believers. Um, and that scope is crazy because that, that scope of the gospel includes us, right? Uh, we're, we're not Jewish, most of us, I'm assuming. We're not uh, clean and considered insiders and lined up to get all God's blessings because of something we got from our family or because of our biblical knowledge or all these other things. Like those things aren't what matters here. Um, so the scope of the gospel. And then the second thing that Jesus is pointing in, out in this is the nature of the gospel, right? It isn't earned. The widow wasn't flyering the neighborhood using Craigslist or, you know, whatever to try to find someone that could help her out. She wasn't putting in any work. Uh, she wasn't, you know, anything. She, she was there ready to die. And God shows up at her door through Elijah, right? The gospel's not earned. There's no prerequisites. There's no qualifiers and no conditions uh, beforehand that the gospel stipulates in order for people to be chosen by God. They're simply chosen by God in an act of his grace. Um, and what is needed to receive that grace, that gospel, is just a simple humility and surrender to God. Both the widow and the leper demonstrated hearts that were submissive and obedient to what God asks of them. And in a way that those other synagogue listeners weren't. Uh, and they came to, to God, just like we need to come to Jesus, with an understanding that their salvation and their deliverance, it's entirely an act of grace. Completely. Naaman was ready to pay his price, right? He was going to pay off whatever he needed to earn this special favor from God. The widow had nothing to pay. She had nothing. And so both the rich and the poor, they come to the same place, God, I need to receive from you, right? Um, Ephesians 2, 4 captures this perfectly. Um, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and uh, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Uh, so what we see at the end of our passage today, uh, the people are angry, right? They, uh, 
They're taking him out of town. They're rejecting him. They're not just rejecting him as Jesus, the guy we know. Their rejection is so much more than that. It's a rejection of the Messiah. It's a rejection of the gospel. It's a rejection of a grace of God that strips them of uh, their own comfort and their own confidence in their goodness, right? And that's the way the gospel works. The gospel always confronts the things we hold on to. The gospel always confronts the idols we have, the sin and the things that we follow in our lives. Um, For those in the synagogue, it was their familiarity with Jesus. It was their ethnic pride, their their Jewishness. It was their self-righteousness. You know, we're good church people. We, We show up and we serve and we do all these things, right? And Jesus says, no, you don't get me as the Messiah. You don't get the gospel of grace. Uh, thankfully, the gospel doesn't just confront sin. It doesn't just confront our idols. It doesn't just confront the things that we need to give up. Uh, the gospel also comforts us. Uh, the gospel is a comfort. And so we see this, Naaman and the widow received comfort. They were delivered and received comfort that they could not have foreseen, that they did not deserve, and they were blessed by God. Uh, the grace of God is free it's miraculous, right? God chose to bless them and they acted, they responded in faithful obedience and they received from God what they could not do for themselves. So the gospel gives us the exact same message, right? Through Christ, we get from God what we can never do for ourselves. We receive forgiveness only through his sacrifice. Uh, and in our passage and Jesus' retelling of these two stories, uh, we get a little a glimpse of the way that God's blessing goes where God's choose, where God chooses. His grace goes where he wills it to. It enters into people's lives because of his goodness, not because anyone has done something to earn it. Uh, so the widow in Nerefith and, and Naaman, the leopard, uh, they give us a little foretaste of the deliverance and the healing that Jesus Christ offers. Um, so we're gonna close here in just a second. Uh, and, and to close, I, I wanna... Take us to the book of John. There's a section in John that perfectly captures what happens in this synagogue scene. It's like like if you were to write a summary statement about Luke 4, uh, this passage um, could do the job. So these verses, they show the nature and the scope of gospel uh, for all who receive Jesus. So um, here we go, John 1, 9 through 13, the true light, Jesus, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God, Children, not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Um, Jesus knew he was coming to earth to face rejection because he knew the people of God, a lot of them, they didn't understand grace. Grace is free and it's global and it's available to anyone that wants to receive him. It's not a matter of doing the right things and kind of building up your resume. It's not a matter of being Jewish. It's not a matter of coming from the right family. It's not a matter of what you have or haven't done. It's a free gift. It's from nowhere except the goodness of God's heart towards his people. Um, And that's such a beautiful thing. And we see in our passage, 
the people of Nazareth rejected that. Just as Jesus kind of called them out and said, you know, prophets aren't received in their own time, in their own town. Jesus was rejected by those in Nazareth because they couldn't handle that free grace. They felt good about themselves, right? They felt good like, yeah, we deserve God's blessing. God's going to do this for us. And Jesus is saying, my grace is going to do this. This isn't your own working. Uh, and they rejected him. They, they cast him out and they're ready to, to throw him off the cliff. Um, so we're going to close now. We've got a couple questions uh, just for us to consider, okay, as we, we finish up here. Um, and I wrestled with these all week. Uh, in this passage, Jesus kind of elevates a leper and a widow, an outsider, someone that's unclean, someone that had nothing, and, and points to them. There's, there's something about them that Jesus wants us to identify with. And I think it's their desperation for the deliverance of God. They saw and recognized only God can do, only God can give what I need. So how can you identify with Naaman and the widow in a way that helps you see Jesus as the only way to be uh, cleansed, the only way to be included, to be forgiven, to be beloved. Uh, and then another one that I was really uh, struck with this week, what familiarity and comfort do you need to reject in your heart so you can receive Jesus? Think of that John 1 passage uh, where they didn't receive him, but those who do receive. Uh, what is it that you kind of hold on to, that, that identity, that value, that significance, purpose, meaning, what are the idols that uh, you hold on to that make you feel, you know, I'm all right, I'm good. Uh, instead of turning God to God for that, that radical, miraculous grace he gives. Uh, and then finally, uh, part of receiving Jesus is being filled with the Holy Spirit. This whole passage, Jesus is filled with the Spirit of God and doing all these crazy things. Uh, and Jesus then commands us, calls us to, take part in making disciples of all nations. Uh, and I want you to uh, consider this week, uh, who are the widows, Nerefeths, uh, and, and Naamans in your life? Who are those that are hurting and broken and cast out and apart and separate that need to see the blessing of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, who are they? Start praying for them. Figure out ways to enter their lives, uh, to share with them that free and amazing grace that comes from God. Um, we're going to close here now in uh, a couple different ways here. We're going to have the worship team come up, um, and we'll have a couple of worship songs together. Um, we have people in the back to pray. Uh, we'd love to pray for you, uh, and, and please avail yourselves of that. Um, we already took care of the give, right? When you eat your hamburger today, you've got a little reminder built in. Um, and then communion. We've got communion trays, tables out back. So we've got um, grape juice and crackers out there. And so as uh, worship is playing, you can get up and, and take uh, communion. We don't ask that you be a member of Hope Community Church in order to take communion, but we would ask that uh, as you celebrate the breaking of Jesus' body and the shedding of his blood on your behalf, that you, you would be a follower of Christ and that uh, in taking those things, you would be reminded of God's goodness and mercy towards us. So I'll pray and then we'll worship. <sighs> Heavenly Father, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Uh, your grace doesn't come to us because we've earned it. 
Uh, it doesn't come to us because we're clean and we have our act together. It doesn't come to us because of the family we're born into. It doesn't come to us because we've memorized a lot of passages or we think we've got good theology. It doesn't come to us uh, because we have things figured out. It comes to us because you're a God who's rich in mercy and because your great love for us wants to be with us. Uh, I pray that that miracle, that uh, testimony of Naaman and of this widow uh, would reshape our hearts, uh, that we would receive you in all areas of our heart and lives, that you would help us to reject and let go of those things uh, that give us pride, that give us uh, hope that are not of you, Father. We, we trust in you and your goodness. We trust in the finished work of your son on the cross. We trust in the power of your Holy Spirit to make us like you. Um, and we just uh, thank you for this time here this morning. And uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.